Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. For us today, Acts chapter 2, beginning verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. Crushed it. Crushed it. Hey, all right. Encourage them. That takes a lot of bravery for a little kid to get up here and read. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. If you've been with us at Hill City last year, we spent, gosh, a year and a half going through the book of Luke, um, written by a guy named... It's not a true question. Good job. Remember by a guy named Luke. The, the central figure in the book of Luke was Jesus. I mean, it was an account of the, the life of Jesus. Well, this semester, in the spring, we're jumping into the book of Acts, written by a guy named Luke. Luke wrote this. So really, Acts is like, Luke was volume one. This is volume two. Really read as, as one big letter and, and one big account of, of the, first of all, the life of Jesus, then Acts is the account of the church. And so if Jesus is the central character in the, in the narrative of Luke, the church is the central character, the central figure in the book of Acts. This church fueled by the Spirit. Okay, And so, and so as we study the book of Acts, it's going to give us a, a great picture into the daily life of what this first century, first church ever looked like. One, one of the... Um, the, the cool privileges I've had just because of my job as a pastor for many years is to be able to travel around the world and go to different places in the world and see how Christians gather and how Christians wor- worship and how different cultures worship and how vastly different all these experiences were. Uh, several years ago, I got to go to India and um, went to a church that gathered in India in the middle of, of New Delhi, India, people everywhere, go to this, this building down to the basement of this, this building in India, um, no, uh, no, no air conditioning, about 142 degrees, that's what it felt like to me, to this Western body, um, a bunch of believers crammed in a little room. If you've been on our third floor, about the size of our big, big room up there where our kids meet. Uh, for worship or our staff works, 60, 70 believers crammed in there, the children, all their kids in there, sitting in the floor, Indians like cross-legged, sitting in the floor, I almost said Indian style, that would have been an awful slip there, (laughs) cross-legged, these little Indian children, (laughs) for an hour and a half to two hour service, they did not move, just listening. Crazy. 
But watching these believers in India and how they worshiped and how different it was from us. Uh, been several times to a few different churches in Italy um, to see how Italian believers and what their gatherings look like an hour and a half to two hours. Very corporate times for uh, different people in the church to pray out loud. Um, one time, the second time I was in Italy, I went to, so if you guys know our, our church, we partner with a church. Giacomo is the pastor over there. Well, his dad leads a church in Siena. Second time I was in Italy, I go to uh, Siena. I'm just starting to get to know their, their family. And I'm in, in the uh, worship gathering, and, and I have a translator here that's, that's translating um, the, the service to me. And so uh, they do an opening, like, call to worship. Then Rocco, the pastor, gets up, and he's greeting the crowd. And he says, and this the whole time, the translators, you know, he's, he's saying hello to the people. He's saying this and this. And, um, and Rocco says, and the translator says to me, yeah, now he's introducing you and talking about how you're here visiting from the United States and how you're going to share a word with the people. And, I'm, and I knew that. I was like, okay, yeah, good. And, and, uh, and then he goes on to say, and the people are really excited for your sermon. <laughs> they are. <laughs> I did not know I was preaching a sermon. And so for the next two or three songs, I'm frantically writing a sermon in the audience because I am the speaker that day. I thought I was a guest, like, give a short little devotion. No, I am this pastor, or I am the preacher of that day. Threw together a sermon. I have no idea if it was good or not, but they invited me back. So um, <laughs> to another time, I got to go to, with, with a team to encourage pastors in, this, in the country of Peru in the middle of the Amazon rainforest. I had to take a bush plane to get into this village, scariest thing of my life, land on a dirt runway in this little village in the middle of the Amazon, cut off, and it was a gathering of pastors, maybe 30, 40, 50 pastors that had come from all over to come and learn how to be better pastors. And these, these pastors are in the middle, literally the middle of the jungle. Many of them live with no electricity, no running water. Um, one, one family, a pastor, a pastor and his wife and three kids walked for three days through the jungle to get to this gathering. And to watch these men and women gather together, not used to being together with, with uh, you know, a big gathering of believers like that, and to sing at the top of their lungs. They had one guitar missing one string, which if you, have, if you play guitar, it's very difficult to play guitar missing one string. And they sang with glad and generous and joyful hearts. All over the world today, believers gathering their different cultures in different ways to proclaim the goodness of the risen Savior. One of my goals in life one day is to be able to preach in a black church and to hear the people constantly giving me feedback about how my sermon's going to go. We here? Yeah. Yeah. One of, my, one of my friends got to go to a black church in Arkansas, and, and he said the whole time, and they're just, they're just like, yeah, pastor, preach it. Well, he said there's this one point in the, in the sermon where the pastor, he's, he's telling a story, and the story's getting a little long. And it's backing up a point, but it's not the gospel, right? And it's getting a little long. And he said, there's this, there's a big black lady sitting right in front of him. And he can tell, my friend's watching. He's like, I can tell she's getting a little perturbed. The story's going on and he's not preaching the gospel. And after this pastor's telling the story and all of a sudden she goes, pastor, get to it. <laughs> I want to be there so bad. I want all, so if I'm telling a long story, y'all just tell me, pastor, get to it this morning, Okay. But, but the black, even the black culture and black churches, to watch, and, and I heard a black pastor, he was talking to me about this, to watch how God has instinctively wired black bodies to come together in rhythm 
to music to celebrate the goodness of our Lord and to see that and to, and to see how God has wired different believers from all over the world in their context to joyfully proclaim the resurrection. I love it. And one of the things we get in the book of Acts here is we get this little glimpse into the very first church ever and what their worship gathering, what, what their um, practices look like. And when we talk about the church, I want you to hear it. So we can talk about the church like Big C, capital C Church, and that's all the churches across the world. And when the Bible talks about the church, that's primarily what it means. But then there's like little C Church, like a gathering of believers. And as we look at Acts today, it's going to give us a glimpse for a short time of a, of a little church in Jerusalem, the very first church, and what they look like. Believers, here, here's what we believe at Hill City. A church is a group of baptized believers that come together for worship, prayer, communion, baptism under a plurality of leadership. And we hold the local church with high esteem here. We have a lot of college students. Hear me, students. We love campus ministries. They're not a church. They're not a church. No, they're good. They do good work. We're thankful for them. High school students, FCA on your school, they do great work. Not a church. But we believe primarily that the Spirit works, and we see it through the book of Acts, through local churches proclaiming the good news of the gospel, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And Luke pauses in his narrative of Acts to give us a picture of this church. Now, one of the dangers, we jump into Acts chapter 2, verse 41. One of the dangers we look at this, we can read this and think, oh, now this is the perfect church. Can I tell you something? It's not perfect. You're going to find, as the book of Acts goes on, there's some issues. If you've read the New Testament, Paul writes to different, some of these churches, like, there's no perfect church. Every church has its family members, like, there's always a cousin Eddie, right, in every, in every family. And this church is no different. So it's not the perfect church, but it, Luke gives us a picture, I think, of what a faithful, imperfect church looks like. My prayer today is that you and I would be spurred on to embody what this looks like, not to mimic it completely, because it's a different culture, but to see their devotion to the church and then to cause us to ask some very hard questions of ourselves. What does it look like for me to be devoted in this time, in this place, to God's church. Verse 41. Those who received his word, that's Peter when he preaches a sermon at Pentecost. Those who received his word were baptized. By the way, if you're a new believer, if you, believe, you need to be baptized. We always have that available on our website. You can register and go through a process to be baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That'd be a heck of a baptism gathering, wouldn't it? Oh, well, that'd be so cool. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. So what does this Holy Spirit-fueled new movement of these people called Christians, actually they weren't even called Christians here, they are called people of the way. What did it look like? Four very ordinary things. Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer. Very rarely do my sermons have three or four points, but today it does. Very easy. There's a word here at the beginning of this that we must see. There's this word, devoted. If there is a word that describes everything about this early church, it is the word devoted. 
that they are devoted to the work of Jesus and the work of the Spirit. Hear me, Hill City. Devotion to God is not here is my Sunday life, here is my spiritual life. Devotion to God is here is my life. And one of the things we must do as we proclaim the gospel seriously here is not allow a compartmentalized Christianity emerge. It says, this is my Jesus life, but the rest is up to me. You do not see that in the New Testament. When Jesus died as your Savior, he also died to be your Lord. And lordship is he is our authority over us. He calls for us our lives. So Luke gives us a picture of what this looked like and what you're going to see all through this. They are devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, to prayer. They're devoted to giving generously. They're devoted to sharing their goods. What does faithful devotion look like for them? And then the hard question for us is, what does that look like now for me? And where do I need to make adjustments? For Hill City Church to be the church we desire to be, that we believe God has called us to be, we must have faithful, devoted members of Hill City Church. We will not do what God has called us to do in our time here apart from that. So let's look at this, and I'll try to move through these quickly. I know we have a lot of kids in here today, and I'm trying to, trying to keep, you, keep us going here. So tell me to get to it if I get slow, all right? They're devoted, number one, to the apostles' teaching. So the mark of this first century church, first believers, is they come together to hear the apostles' teaching. And this is, this is so fascinating because these are guys that had firsthand account to Jesus. I mean, they sat on the Sermon on the Mount and heard Jesus teach And so the first teaching of the apostle was the words that Jesus gave to them and then instructed them to teach. And here's the cool thing. We have their teachings. You know what it's called? The New Testament. That's the apostle's teaching. Taking the Old Testament and now expounding on it to say, okay, we see now that Jesus was the answer from the beginning to the Old Testament. And here's what it looks like now in light of Jesus coming to faithfully live out what God has called us to do. And this New Testament apostleship, they had an authority that you and I do not have. They were commissioned by Jesus to take his words and to teach them. Their words became scripture. It's an authority that I don't have. So if if you're at Hill City Church, here's what you need to know that we believe about the Bible. The Bible is not this book written by men that's like some good ideas and some good moral things. We believe here that the Bible is authoritative, that the words that the apostles wrote were fueled by the Holy Spirit, that though it was their handwriting, it was the power of the Holy Spirit to cause them to write what they did. And here's what we believe at Hill City. All matters of faith and godliness and what it looks like to live as a Christian are answered in the Bible. So we can't say here, I know what the Bible says, but... That didn't work. Now, are there a bunch of things in the Bible that are gray and we have to wrestle through? Of course there are. Of course there are. But may we never hear say, well, yeah, the Bible says this, but I believe we don't, I don't have that authority. One of the things we're careful about at Hill City is we teach and preach is to not command you to do things that are not in the Bible. I don't have that authority. No, I have convictions based on the Bible that I can encourage and say, here's my conviction. I'll encourage you to have some convictions 
But legalism happens when I say, no, I'm going to add to it, and here's a rule that you need to live by that's not there. Ultimately, the Bible is the authority, and they, they pin these words given to other churches. So the mark of these early believers, though, is they are devoted to the apostles' teaching. They're devoted to learning. I grew up in a church and from the time I was a little kid. Never read the Bible for my own until I went to college. I still remember my freshman year sitting in Kentwood Dorm, Missouri State Campus, uh, third floor, corner room, for the first time opening the Bible and starting to read. And that was the first part in my journey where I believe the Spirit started to spur me on to want to know God. A mark of a true believer is someone who is a learner. The Bible promises the Holy Spirit will take the words of the Bible into remembrance that we might live those in our daily lives. And here's the reality, the Holy Spirit can't bring to remembrance something that ain't there. We must be people of continued learning. We're a young church. I mean, look around. We have a lot of young believers. One of the marks of young believers is, is, as the Bible says, we can be tossed by every wave of doctrine, right? We hear this idea. Oh, I don't know. We go to science class and a professor challenges. Well, I don't know about that. And we hear, we read a book by a pastor about this and oh, I got to say, and we're back and forth and back and forth. We must begin to be people of the word, students of the word, learning. Passion without knowledge is very dangerous. Are you a learner? Are you trying to take Scripture and, and get it into your hearts to, to wrestle with it? Does that define you? Are you devoted to teaching but also to learning? Because we have something that the early believers didn't have because here's what didn't exist right then, a printing press. So if they're going to get instruction from the Word, they've got to come together, hear the apostles teaching, you have it now. It's a, great, it's a great gift of God, a common grace of the Lord. Learn it. One of the things at Hill City, we have a lot of kids here. Kids, you're going to, I know the last, last hour there was like a bunch of kids right in here. So I don't know where all my kids are, but you're going to have to help me here. So we are passionate at Hill City to teaching our kids foundational truths. Not just Bible stories about David and Goliath and you can kill your giants and all that sort of thing, but like true truths about God that are foundational. Like one of the things we teach our kids, we have five of them that we teach young kids, is God is good. We teach them that from the beginning. Foundational truth. If, if there's kids here, you're going to have to help me. You're going to have to yell loud, kids, because there's not very many of you. I want you to complete this sentence. God is in charge of? Good job. Can you yell louder than that, kids? I know you can. Try it again. God is in charge of? Good job. Foundational truth that we teach our kids. Parents, are you devoted to teaching your kids but also bringing them here to be taught? So, so you watched this morning, a group of elementary kids get up and recite a scripture by memory. I was walking around one time when Brad was preaching up in our kids' area just looking around, and I watched... As, as they're doing this one day in their classes, and there's a, a couple of kids there, families I know that just don't come very often. And it was sad, because all the kids are sitting there reciting Bible verses, and those other kids are sitting there like, I don't know it. Are we people devoted to teaching? Teaching our kids, instructing our families. What marks the early believers is devoted to the apostles' teaching. Here's the second one, they're devoted to fellowship. And fellowship isn't just, hey, man, let's go watch a Chiefs game, although that can be. 
Fellowship is this deep community where love becomes concrete, where we start taking care of one another. There's 59 one another's in the New Testament. You know where those one another's are done? In community with believers. The one another's are for believers and how they should act with one another. Let me give you a few. We can give 59, I won't do them all. Love one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. This is a good one. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Yeah, come on. Serve one another. Carry one another's burdens. Where do we do the one another's in Scripture? With one another. In community with one another. Hear me. A Christian faith, no matter how devoted that's individual, is not a Christian faith. We are called into community with one another, and it's in community that we begin to show one another what it looks like to live out the gospel. This early church was marked by having all things in common. Again, now this is something we've got to be careful because this is an early church, first century Judaism, primarily Jews in this church, and they had everything in common. They sold things and shared things. We're not going to call us into communism this morning, Right? Because that looks different in 2020 than it did first century in a Jewish culture. But one of the things that should mark a gospel-saturated church and Christians is taking care of one another. Here's some cool stories in our church. I just made a list this morning of just things I've heard about in the past year. One of our families gave a car to another young person in our church that needed a vehicle. Another family in our church paid for a funeral of a family who couldn't afford to the cost of a funeral. Many families in our church allow college students or young, young people, young singles to live with them who, who need a place to live or in financial situations. If you're um, a young mom, young dad in our church, you've experienced the meal train thing where families just flood your house with food. We had a city group, had a young man who, who lost someone very close to them, our, a city group of young people pitched together money to fly that young man to go be with his family at the funeral. We had a city group where a young family's transmission went out. That city group all pitched in. This young family couldn't afford a new transmission. Boom, new transmission in their car. That is done in the one another's. That doesn't happen here. It happens in small communities. Hill City, are you devoted to gathering together in smaller communities where we can do the one another's? Now, again, authority of Scripture. I can't tell you that every single one of you need to be in a city group. You know why? The Bible doesn't tell you that. But I can tell us every one of us needs to be in community. And one of the best ways we have at our church is city groups. If you're an adult, we have city groups. We're starting a financial study. You need to get in one. You can register on our website. They start this week. Now's the time to get in. I'm commissioning you to do that as a faithful believer. College students, we have college city groups. We're actually starting several more this semester. At the end of the gathering today, we're going to have several of our new city group leaders right down front. College students, if you want to join a group, you come down here, we'll get you in one today. God has called you into a community as a faithful believer to do the one another's. Do you value that? Are you devoted to that? Does that a mark of your life? We have um, a gal from Italy from the church in Perugia, Johar. I think she's in here this morning. Where are you, girl? Right there. She's been with us for three weeks and helping out with her staff and learning. She drives 40 minutes to get to church on Sunday in Italy. 
You know why? Not because Giacomo's church is the coolest with the hip stuff. It's the only one. In a city the size of Springfield, his and I think there may be one other little church, she doesn't have options. One of the blessings of American Midwest culture is lots of churches to reach people, but at times it's a curse. Let me speak to us for a second. One of the dangers of a, of a culture like this where there's churches everywhere is we get mad at one, we bounce to the other. The Bible doesn't allow us to do that. And I'm not just, this isn't a plea for all of you to stay at Hill City. And I love you. And please don't be offended by this. Many of you came to Hill City because you were mad about something else. And the reason you left that church will be the reason you leave Hill City. And I love you. And I, that's not a guilt. That's not a shame on you. I'm, it's a calling to more. That one of the idea of the one another's, and Paul, if you read his letters to the churches, he'll talk to, there's like, there, at one church, there's two, two women fighting. He's like, I beg you in the Lord to work on it, to work on your disagreement. One of the gifts of a local church is you're going to be around people that you don't always like and that you feel differently about and you disagree with and you have to learn how to love, and that is for your good. And the danger of a city like Springfield is someone makes me mad, I'm like, I'm out. I'll get to a different church. And what ends up happening is we don't grow like we should. That being forced into a community of people that look like, look different than me and talk different than me and think different than me is actually for my good. I'm calling us, I believe Jesus is calling us to more devotion to community. Parents of middle school, high schoolers, let me talk to you for a second. I know you love your kids and I know, I know you want them to, to follow Jesus as they get into adulthood. Here's what, so there's been some studies done because here's the reality. 70% of our kids that grow up in church, kids at Hill City, 70% of them will walk away from their faith between high school and college. It's an awful statistic. So some studies were done. What makes kids stick? What, make, what makes kids stick from high school into college? You know what it's not? Cool youth groups with a, with a cool youth pastor that says bro all the time. Where we have, we have these cool things that, that doesn't do it. Now that'll attract a lot of kids. You know what causes kids to stick? They found out five key relationships with key adults. Five. So we have a youth minister here. Several of them are in the, in the back, I think, that, are, that lead that. Their goal is to help your kids walk with them. We have college students, young adults that pour into middle schoolers and high schoolers trying to develop those relationships that they might stay faithful into college. Parents and middle school, high school kids, are you leading your kids to be devoted? Now here's what's going to happen. Your middle school or your high school is saying, Dad, I don't want to go tonight. Does that work tomorrow morning when it's school time? Dad, I don't want to go to school. Okay, well, you don't have to because I want you to want... No, what do you... Get your butt to school. Parents... I believe our kids need to be devoted, be devoted to, to our youth group. We've got to lead them to that. So, devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoted to fellowship. Number three, they're devoted to breaking of bread. And this, this could mean they're devoted like eating together, but really what this was referring to is communion, like the celebration of the Lord's Supper. So here's what happened for this early church. And, and, and this isn't us, this is the Jewish believers. Is they would go to the Jewish temple on Saturdays. Their goal wasn't necessarily to start a new religion called Christianity. Their goal was, was Judaism, the faithful Jews would come to follow Jesus. 
So they would go on Saturday to the synagogue for, for Jewish worship, Jewish prayers. And then on Sunday, these Christians, these new believers, would gather to celebrate communion. It was this meal. They would do a full meal. And it was a celebration. Like it wasn't this somber, oh, Jesus died on the cross for us. It was this celebration. Jesus has risen. It was such a celebration that Paul actually has to write a local church because they're taking the party a little too much and they're getting drunk at communion. Uh, read your Bible. It's in there. Like they ain't using Welch's grape juice. And their celebration of the resurrection started to get a little, the bass started getting a little too loud. And he had to rein him back in a little bit. Right? But the, what marked these new believers is this breaking of bread, this celebration that the Messiah came and he rose conquering death, and that's our identity. No longer is identity in going to the temple and our sacrifices and our behavior. The identity is what Jesus did, and that fueled their celebration. Let's talk to Hill City for a second. If you're, if you're us, one thing we must grow in is our celebration. Okay? Now, I'll be honest with you. Nine o'clock, I got after him a little bit because we're a little sleepy at nine o'clock. We do a little bit better here. But there's something that happens when a community of believers get together and celebrate the resurrection with one another. Glad and generous hearts. Hill City, individual, does that reflect you as you come to worship? Or is it, oh, yeah, I'm here, I got my coffee, I'm trying to wake up. Get out of bed. Drink your coffee. Get a Red Bull. I don't care. Here we go. Here we go. Get to church on time. And here's the deal. I say that. My wife was late today. <laughs> she walked in with another one of our elders' life five minutes late. I'm like, y'all are killing me. So here's what's cool. Even science, I love it when science backs up, just like proves the Bible true. Like all, all through the Bible is this encouragement, like spur one another on, encourage one another. So scientists have been, have been studying and recently found this thing in the body. They're called motor neurons, or not motor, mirror neurons. Anyone heard about mirror neurons? Here's what a mirror neuron is. It's, it's what allows humans and actually some animals to actually assume the emotions of another person. So let's, let's say you're, you're, you have a part of your story that you're shameful about. I can't believe I did that. I hate myself for this. And you share that story with another person, and, and that person's face, instead of being like, how dare you do that, it's like, it's empathy. It's sadness. It's anger. Here's what happens at, at a neuron level is we actually begin to change. Based on the other person's face, their emotions, we, our neurons begin to mirror how they feel about our story, not just how we feel about our story. Let's take that to the corporate gathering. Does your presence at Hill City Gathering say that Jesus is Lord? Does your presence at Hill City Gathering say that you have a hope that's not this world, there's a bigger hope? Now, am I expecting everyone at Hill City Church to be those two fellows that are going to be? No. No. But can we challenge one another to be more joyful? If you can't dance, we're saying, can you smile? This, this band, I'm, I'm going I'm to fight for them for a second. All these guys get here 7 o'clock every morning they lead. Actually, some of them before that. Setting up, practicing, they practice during the week. One of the, and I've led before here. One of the most frustrating and disheartening things is to work hard 
and then to look out and see. Can we encourage one another better? As a congregation, can we encourage our worship leaders and our musicians who don't get paid a dime that get early to serve you? Can we better encourage them? Can we clap between songs? Can we amen when they say something that's like, heck yeah. Because in doing so, we spur one another on. Like this morning, there's a few people that came in here today and some circumstances happened in their world this week and they don't have hope right now. And here's what they need. They need to see someone who has hope. There's days that I get up here and I don't always believe what I'm preaching to you. I mean, I want to believe it. And I need to see your face saying, come on, this is true. We're going to talk about generosity some over the next few weeks. Like, I want to be more generous and I want to keep my money. And I need encouragement for you all. To, what does it look like for Hill City Church to be more celebratory, more encouraging of one another, to spur one another on? It's what marked this early church. The danger in America is we're a very individualistic society. We're not going to change that. But the challenge is that we take that oftentimes into our faith, and we have a very individualistic faith. From its beginning, Christianity was communal. A purely private faith, no matter how faithful, is not a Christian faith. The Bible is written not to you, individual. The Bible is written to we, us. I, I called Giacomo in, in Italy because I, I thought this was, I, I know a little bit of Italian, basically enough to order the food I want, if I'm being honest, okay? But I know a little bit. And so, and this is really intimidating, having an Italian here, she's going to like, you just butchered this hood. Um, but... All through the scriptures, in the New Testament in particular, you'll see the word in English, you, Y-O-U. How many of us, when we read that, like uh, Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Uh, you were a new creation in Christ, right? You know these scriptures? Let's be honest. How many of us, when you read that, you read it like you, I? Anyone? Yeah. The English language, we don't have a word necessarily for you that can distinguish between you like one individual or you here, all of us. Now, someone last hour said, actually we do, it's called y'all. <laughs> for once the Texans are right, all right, we'll give them that. But so in Italy, I was asking, so I called Giacomo, I'm like Giacomo help me with this. In Italy, when you see the word you in your Bible, what is the word in Italian for you? And he said it's the word voi. V-O-I, I wrote V-O-Y so I'd say it right. V-O-I is voi. It means you. And here's what he said. That word is never singular, it's plural. And that word is primarily the word that's used every time we see the word you in the New Testament. It's all of us. In Italian, the word for you individual is to, to you. He said you rarely see that. Even the Bible is written to y'all, not you individual. Christian, do you, do you have a, a love and affection for, a devotion to the us? When we started Hill City Church, before we ever did a public gathering, Scott, Brad, some of the people in, involved in this, we got together and we said, how can we create a worship gathering on Sunday 
that not in a way that's perfect, but in our culture somehow celebrate the you, the us, not the individual. And even, th- so even how we, we do our services, our, our gatherings, we start with a call to worship over here, which is someone from the congregation, we just ask to share, to start to celebrate the fact that the only person that speaks to the church doesn't need to be me or Brad, that we all have something to say. We all are gifted by the Holy Spirit, right? We go into worship, our worship gatherings. We, keep, we don't turn all the lights off. We want you to see one another. It's not about you and your God time. It's us and our God time together. That's what the worship gathering's about. When we, between songs, we'll do corporate readings where we will read scripture together. You know why we do that? The you, the y'all, right? We get up to do the sermon. Almost always have someone read the scripture. Why? That's to show that I'm not the only one that can read scripture to the people. The end of the gathering, what do we do every single week? Communion. You know why? It gets y'all up out of your seats and together. Mark of the early church is a communal togetherness, not an individual. Last thing, apostles were devoted to the prayers. Now, when you see the prayers, again, this early church, Jewish believers, that's probably mostly the Jewish prayers, the Shema, some of the things that were part of their, 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 their heritage and their culture. As we read the book of Acts, one of the things we see is, these, is groups of disciples, groups of these early believers meeting in homes to pray. And what are they praying for? Protection? Safety? Uh Uh-uh. Boldness. In a few years in Acts here, this really bad persecution is going to break out. And they're going to be getting slaughtered. And even then, their prayer is not, Lord, protect us. Their prayer is, may we be faithful. Prayer marked early believers. How many of you just like rock prayer? I mean, like three hours a day. On Anyone here? Anyone struggle to pray? Can we all be honest? The rest of you are lying, right? We're trying to grow on this. I'm trying to go, like, my, I'll just be on. My first instinct is what do I need to do? There's a problem in the city. All right, Hood, we got to take care of it. We got to do this. Not Lord. We're trying to grow at this. I need all the help I can get. One of the things that we've done, the staff, many of our leadership, and I'm going to ask and challenge us as a congregation to do is we have a, a reminder on our phone that goes off every single day at 10.02. 10.02 that reminds us to pray. So if you're around our staff offices any day during the week, 10.02, there's alarms going off everywhere. And we kind of have a rule with our staff, whoever's talking when it goes off, prays. Okay? And we get together and we just pray real quick. And, the, and the, the invitation today is for every believer in our church to set an alarm at 10.02. The cool thing about iPhones, which almost all of you have, they go off at the exact same time, right? And 10.02, we pray. Now, why 10.02? Um, now, if you're really spiritual, you can do the morning and the evening. It's up to you, okay? Some of you college students are like, I'll do the evening because I ain't up in the morning at 10.02. We can change that. Why 10.02? It comes from Luke 10.2. Here's, here's what Jesus said. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So here's what we do. As staff, as leadership, and I'm inviting all of our congregation, we set alarms for 1002, and that prayer is, Lord, send out harvesters. Lord, help us to multiply. Lord, help me to share the gospel. Many of you, I pray for, I think of your faces, I pray for at 1002 every single day. 
Now, sometimes I'm in a meeting with people and my phone goes off and that's just a, in my head, Lord, send, send us out, help us be faithful. Other times that's a longer prayer. Real easy thing for us to do to spur us on to pray. 1002 on your phones. I'm encouraging everyone in our church to do that. So as Luke talks about this early church and, and what it looked like for these new believers, here's the crazy thing as I read this. It's not this extraordinary thing. It's very common. They gathered for apostles' teaching, for fellowship, for breaking of bread, and for prayer. But it was those practices that the Lord used and the Spirit used to fuel them, and here we are today. But it's very ordinary. One that we, again, we have a young congregation. One of the things I want to caution us about, because we, we can be exposed to, to all kinds of things around the world, is this new thing that's called, uh, called sensationalism. And that is this idea that if we are spirit-filled believers, there should be all these crazy signs and wonders, and we get together the point, uh, and, and we think the Holy Spirit's here. It's more about this emotional feeling that we feel and, and glitter falling from the sky or whatever happens. You don't see that here. When the Holy Spirit came on the apostles, it wasn't in a worship service that they would have goosebumps. You know when it came on the apostles? It spurred them out to evangelism. Look at every time the Spirit comes on the believers and it spurs them to evangelism. Not to, oh, that felt good. God was here today. But these ordinary practices became the fuel that the Spirit used to launch Christianity into a worldwide movement. Like this was the early church that planted every church, and here we are. So as we read through the book of Acts, the point of Acts is not to do everything exactly like they did. But the point is to see how they responded in their time to the call of God and to ask hard questions to ourselves about how shall we respond now in our time. So the conversation I have once or twice a year um, is, you know, a 24-year-old guy will start reading a few books and he'll come and want to tell me all the things wrong with Hill City Church. And I, I, love, I look forward to those conversations so much. And one of the things is like, Acts, I'll read this, and I'm like, we need to have all things in common. Like the early church had all, they, they shared everything. We need to do that. I'm like, okay, go sell everything and bring it here. That shuts down the conversation pretty quick. But as we look at this early church, some things, yeah, they're for all churches to do, and, and other things, it's like, no, this is what they did. Like faithful men and women gathering together for teaching, worship, prayer, communion. And that is what the Spirit used to launch them into a worldwide movement. Now, what's it look like for us? That's the question. As we go through Acts, I want us to begin to wrestle with. What does it look like us to be devoted to these practices of the church? Not just to gather together and feel good about it, but that we might be spurred on across the world to do great things for Jesus. So many churches in America are dying because there's nothing spurring them on. Like, if we go on this passage, Acts chapter 2, verse 43, here's what it says. And they came upon, awe came upon every soul. Like, as they gathered for these things, awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all believed together, had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
And day by day, attending the temple together, that's the Jewish temple, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad, or gener- glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, day those who were being saved. Local group of men and women gathering together in these practices, but the manner in which they gathered caused an unbelieving world to be astounded by them. It says, many, like, like, people were in awe upon what the Lord was doing. So the unbelieving world looks at Hill City. They're in awe of what the Lord is doing. What are we doing leaving a mark bigger than ourselves? For years in American Christianity, the mark of maturity was not doing bad things instead of pursuing really good things. The value for years in churches was safe over risk. The value in many churches has been the giving generation, not the emerging generation. The value in many churches has been built bigger, not multiplication. At Hill City, we are committed to changing that. That our goal is not just get bigger. Our goal is to send and to multiply and to start new churches and to start new movements. That our goal is not how do we keep the older, my generation now, who's getting older, how do we keep them pleased, but how do we pour out ourselves for the next generation? That's what we are valuing here. How do we, at Hill City Church, not just get bigger, but multiply? There will be a day soon when we will celebrate more baptisms that happen in things that we started outside than what happened in this congregation. And I look forward to that day. How will God do that among us? Being devoted to teaching, to worship, to fellowship, and breaking of bread. And that's what I'm calling us to today. As we talk about being sent So we talk about being committed, this calling that God has to us. This first calling is to one another, to being devoted to the church. Does that describe you? Where would Jesus this morning invite you to adjust your life? Where might Jesus invite you to say no? Parents, what's it look like for your kids to use sports? but that not to consume their lives and take over the local church. What's it look like, rich Americans, to have hobbies, but not let our hobbies and what we spend in our hobbies outspend what we give to the work of God? What does it look like sometimes to say no to things on Sunday or things on our small group night? What does it say no, it looks like to say no to say yes to God? Like if you're gonna say no, let's make sure we say no to the right person. That sometimes the best thing for me is to deny myself and say, no. What's it look like to enjoy time with your family and have good vacations and, and have a place of the lake, but do it with balance and to be devoted to the work of the church? What's it look like to be, have fitness and take care of your body, but not, not be more devoted to your fitness club than you are the local church? And I, and I don't say these things to just like throw arrows and, and, and try to shame anyone, but I do want to begin to call us to a bigger devotion to the life of the church that God might do something great among us. Because our, pra- like our practices, what we do, what we put our effort in, it shapes us. 
It shapes our love. Like these practices, you make a practice of regular church gathering, regular community, regular giving, like it will shape you. It just does. You make a practice of removing yourself from that, whatever you go to will shape you also. Our practices shape our loves, and here's the reality. We live towards what we love. Our practices shape us. We live towards it. I spent years chasing hobbies, particular hunting, bow hunting. It makes a bad God. I spent years chasing that, thinking about it, reading about it, studying it, practicing. Even today, I get away for two or three days and go on a hunting trip, and my love starts being stirred again. And I start dreaming of hunting land. And, like, and I need to get back with believers who don't care a lick about hunting to be spurred on to something better than that. Our practices shape us. They shape our loves, and we live towards what we love. Do your practices that you do, are they shaping you to love Jesus and love his church? That's, I believe, the call today from this passage that God would have for us, devotion to his church. Faithful learning, faithful community, faithful gathering, faithful prayer. We do this all because Jesus was faithful to us. The gospel, he was devoted to us. Here's what um, Paul writes. He says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said to these believers, this is my body which is broken. Do this in remembrance of me, which they did. We, We see this. In the same way, he also took the cup, and after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this. And they did. And as often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. For, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that commission of Jesus is what sent the disciples into starting this church that was focused around communion, breaking the bread, the apostles' teaching fellowship. So as we come together today to end this gathering, we come to the table. We do it every single week because it's a practice that shapes us. My prayer today is you come, that that practice of coming, you're going to look around, you're going to see y'all coming. And may that help shape the fact that this is not a you and God faith. This is a us together faith. And that communion even is in the picture of that.